Hello, my name's Paul Bennett. I'm the Managing Director of Medallion Metals. We're an ASX-listed advanced gold and copper explorer. We've got a portfolio of assets with great potential in the southern gold fields of Western Australia. And the aim is our ambition is to progress from explorer to developer and then producer over the next two to three years. Paul, thank you very much for the introduction. Nice to meet you. Um, I believe this is your first time on Crux and uh, that you brought Medallion to market uh, about two years ago in early 2021, but that you've been with the company for a number of years. Could you kind of give me a little bit of background about yourself first and then and then your route into Medallion? Sure, Merlin. Uh, I'm a career mining engineer. Uh, first job was at Newcrest at the Telfer Gold Mine in Western Australia back in 1994 as a vacation student. Uh, I worked for somebody there called Tony James. He was the underground manager of that mine and he's now a non-executive director of, of Medallion today. So uh, he's, we've remained close over a long period of time, which is a fantastic thing uh, for our business. Uh, but I worked in hard rock metal mines in Western Australia for about 10 years, uh, principally gold and base metals. Uh, in senior management roles, uh, underground manager uh, and, and other technical positions. And then after 10 years, I studied again, did an MBA um, in Melbourne and then found myself in investment banking. I moved into an investment banking role with Rand Merchant Bank. Um, their resources financing business was known as RMB Resources and I spent nine years uh, in that position doing uh, project finance, uh, other styles of a broad range of investment for junior mining companies right around the world in all sorts of jurisdictions, uh, different commodity types. Uh, that was a fascinating uh, position to hold. I loved it, uh, learned a lot, uh, certainly how to get it right, how to get it wrong. Uh, and then at the end of that period of time, I looked to get back on the industry side and Back in 2016, the industry was depressed. Uh, oh, my the, goodness. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was yeah. right at the it was a shocker. Recall the, the equity market was tough uh, and there was, there was assets around but no funding for them. Uh, and this was the position that I landed on. It was a little bit difficult for me because I think prospective employers couldn't work out whether I was a fish or fowl, banker or mining engineer. Uh, but... To my good fortune, the the founders of Medallion uh, gave me a chance. That was six years ago. I joined the company right when we acquired the asset from Silverlack Resources, and then we ran the business privately for four years uh, before listing it in 2021, in March. Uh, and we've, there's been a lot of work undertaken over that period of time. Uh, there was a the early on pre-listing, we stripped back the resources back to something that we thought we could build upon uh, and then built them up to almost 700,000 ounces of gold before we listed. Uh, did a lot of work on the permitting front, did a lot of metallurgical test work, basically built the foundation to then launch the business. And, and that launch process was really all about raising uh, new public funds to undertake an aggressive extensional drill program at the Cundit Mining Centre. What was the shareholder, what was kind of the pro forma shareholder base before you came to market? You know, who, who were the owners at that stage? Yeah, five five founders, we call them. 
they have invested together uh, and and they've been successful together and separately in the resources sector over a long period of time. Uh, we came out of the same stable uh, as London Metals. You may know LM8, which is a ASX-listed uh, nickel explorer with assets in Cambella. That's been a fabulous success. Um, Ed Ainsco, who's the managing director of that business, was a founding director, and he was the one who really identified and motivated the original investment in the asset. Ed's now moved on. He's he's pretty busy. He's got uh, he's got um, something of real significance on his hands there. But uh, he's been a great support to us and stepped off the board in March. Uh, we're back down to three now. But uh, yeah, we'll, we, we've also got our eyes out and looking to augment that board structure as well. And um, the, the 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 five founders. What's the current? Um shareholding that they own in the in the business yeah they retain approximately 52 percent of the register the pre-ipo shareholders uh, they're all out of a grow uh nobody sold a share in fact you know the ones that can have been acquiring them when they can they've been following their rights when they can when you came to market it was march 21 wasn't it um yeah how, how much did you raise at that point 12 and a half at the ipo and subsequent to that we've We've raised another 4.8 in a placement in November of 2021, and then 5.2 with a rights issue in August of 2022. The the the, the new shareholders coming on. If you had any institutions, or is it just kind of people uh, following the work that you've been doing? I mean, it's been a it's been an awful equity market since 2021. I mean, it, it's been a tough, tough old gig, hasn't it? Oh yeah, gold equities is a tough and crowded space, and it has been for. It's been that way almost since we listed. Uh, there was a little bit of a pop there. Uh, it's probably coming off the back of that peak in the gold price in 2020. But yeah, it's been a tough road to host since. Um, but look, we've off that money that we've raised, we have been very focused on getting as much of it as possible into the ground. Uh, I think over 80% of the money that we've raised so far has been deployed directly into the ground, into the assets at Ravenstorp to increase the value of them for our shareholders. So we've been busy. We've built up quite a bit of momentum. We've increased the resource substantially over that over that period of time. So I think the asset really has delivered what we expected it would when we set about uh, undertaking that drill program. Notwithstanding, the market hasn't responded. But I think that's just a matter of time. And all we can do is really keep our head down and focus on continuing to either grow or de-risk the assets that we've got. Yeah, no, I'm totally with you. Um, uh, it, it has been just such a horrendous time for, for equity markets. We'll yeah. come back to talk, we'll come back to talk about how uh, gold companies are valued and, but, but um, for the, the viewer or the listener, uh, Let's just go to the asset now. Um, now you're you're um, really close to it. You understand. You know Western Australia really well. But for 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 someone who's coming in cold, uh, can you just describe uh, where it is, what the access is, uh, roughly where it is in Australia, and the kind of the the aspect of the of the project? Yeah. So the asset is a contiguous group of mining and exploration leases that cover approximately 650 square kilometres and they are centred within the Shire of Ravensthorpe, which is located about 550 kilometres southeast of Perth. And that's the geographical location from a 
geological point of view, the uh, key and greenstones that we're focused on are situated right at the southern end of the Yulgarn Crat. So we're at the bottom end of the of the Southern Cross Greenstone Belt, just before the Archean dips beneath the Proterozoic and continues on to the south. But to the south of us is really the Albany Fraser origin and 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 different style of geology, at least at surface anyway. Um, so we're at the we're at the fringes of the of the Yulgarn Craton, um, and that's another aspect of the business that that has been a challenge for us is that we are 400 kilometres away from the nearest established operating gold processing plant. So we really do have to establish a critical mass that can sustain that capital requirement. Um, so we need to build a standalone plant in Ravensthorpe. Um, look, it's an amenable jurisdiction. There's two major uh mining projects underway in the local government area, uh, the Mount Catlin lithium project and uh, the Ravensthorpe nickel operations, which is a big laterite nickel project operated by First Quantum. So Ravensthorpe's an enabling jurisdiction for what we've got in mind. The access, the infrastructure's outstanding. Um, there's a 1,700 metre sealed airstrip with instrument landing at either end, 10 kilometres from where our mining tenement's located. There's, uh, you know, exceptional community and and other infrastructure in place. We're 185 kilometres from a deep water port if we're exporting uh, copper concentrate. Uh, yeah, it's the, it, the place where you can get things done. Is the project, do you staff it from Perth? I mean, do you, do you fly into Ravensthorpe or, or have you got kind of a local team in um in, in Ravensthorpe or do you because of the Yilgarn uh geology do you kind of need the expertise which is kind of perhaps located elsewhere rather than um, Ravensthorpe itself we're, we're principally staffed out of Perth and I don't think that'd be uh unusual for most uh companies in our stage in WA um where most of the most of the technical uh and other people that you employ in the business will be based in Perth and work on a fly-in, fly-out basis. So the majority of our workforce, we fly from Perth uh, on a weekly basis. They're on an eight and six roster. It's relatively short flight by WA standards to get out here. It's only an hour. Um, and then we do have a local co- component to the workforce. Um, that that goes up and down. Uh, but the most people in Ravensthorpe are, are gainfully employed. There's a significant agricultural component to the the local economy, uh, there's a little bit of tourism, and then the mining industry is really quite dominant there. So uh, it's there's not too many people that haven't got a job. That particular part of the world is really uh, booming at the it's moment. A, it's a typical Australian story, you know. There's um, very low unemployment, and um, finding actually the people to do the work is is well, the skilled or the appropriate people to do the work is quite a challenge. Yeah, I think the resources sector in WA is probably always. Uh, struggled for numbers, particularly quality people, and that's become more acute now with with all the activity that's going on in WA. Um, but look, it, it usually finds a way to get by, and it's important that the management of the company has got the good contacts of being involved in the industry for a long period of time and has a track record of of success, of achieving things, achieving positive outcomes. That always helps attract people um, that you may have worked for before or who are watching what you're doing and are interested in getting involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, now, in terms of the asset itself, you've got, um, what is it, 19.5 million tonnes um, 
at around uh, oh my goodness I've got my um, my numbers wrong um, at 2.1 grams gold um, and 0.3 copper yeah 2.6 gold equivalent 2.1 straight up with a bit of copper and you, you you've that, that's that's a resource update that you've done you kind of published that most recently in Q1 I think it was in February that you published the the resource update and you're working towards a pre-feasibility study uh, which is due out in the next couple of months um, you skipped the PEA stage or the or the um, scoping study stage, or perhaps I, I, I just missed it in the, your um, in your news flow. No, that's right. Uh, we did. We ran as a private company. We ran a feasibility study level assessment of uh, the project as it as it was conceived at the time. That was back when the resources were about seven hundred thousand ounces of gold only, uh, and that was largely an oxide gold project that was a direct leach of those ores to produce gold and silver dore. Uh, but then that was that was a relatively short life project, relatively low capital costs. But we did do quite a bit of work on the metallurgy front uh, as well as permitting and other bits and pieces. So that provided us a platform upon which to run this pre-feasibility study. So that that's yes. scoping level slash PEA uh, work had been done previously, and so we we're able to then use that to base the PFS off, and uh, that's that's why we've taken that leap. It was, yeah, it, we almost took a step backwards from the amount of work that we'd done previously, but a lot of that work was able to be brought to bear on this particular study. What I often find is that um, a a scoping study is is done, and then. Uh, as more information comes through, there's kind of optimization. There are trade-off studies that go through, and typically a, a pre-feasibility study is an exercise or, or is a series of trade-off studies with with the company presenting kind of a uh, the current best fit uh, approach. Um, what what does that look like at the moment in terms of kind of what are you looking at in terms of configuration of open pit underground? Uh, what products are you looking at? Is it an oxide? Is it a, are you going to producing a concentrate? Are you going to go to Dore? Just, just kind of what's 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 the what, what are you aiming to produce the pre-feasibility study on? Yeah, maybe I'll take a step back and and describe the nature of the ore body itself because it's a little bit different to what you typically see in Western Australia, uh, principally because the copper's there. You know, we, there's there's a couple of analogies. We think we think the closest analogy to our asset is Silver Lake's deflector project. Uh, it's a it is a they have a front end crush grinds and then it, it's a gravity uh, into flotation to produce a copper concentrate with uh, precious metal credits and then they leach the float tail to make a gold and silver dore and it was GR Engineering who designed and built that plant and recently completed an upgrade on the back end of it. We are using GRs to conduct the pre-feasibility study on our behalf and uh, there's no one better place to assist us in that regard and we will replicate that process flow route and uh, again coming back to the ore body uh, it's a little bit under unusual for WA uh, it is a strongly mineralized uh, deposit uh, it is yeah everybody says they've got a high grade deposit I think ours is best characterized as a as a medium or moderate grade golden copper deposit um, it is it is it's got slightly different chemistry slightly different host rocks to what you see in WA uh, and it's going to produce, uh, well, the mine plan as it, as it looks at the moment is roughly 20% oxide, 10% uh, transitional material, and then 70% in the fresh. Now, 
we're going to be able to recover the copper from the fresh material. We'll be able to recover some of it from, from above the top of fresh rock as well. But we will implement that same process flow route as they do at deflector, um, gravity, then uh, produce a copper concentrate with that precious metal credit and then leach the float tail to make a gold and silver doray. So from a processing point of view, in terms of option trade-offs, there wasn't too many. Um, it was it was pretty pretty clear what we needed to do. Uh, from the mining point of view, a little bit different. We've got uh, multiple deposits in multiple orientations. Uh, five, uh, in summary, all situated very close to one another. It's all the same mineralizing event, uh, and all within a one and a half kilometer radius of where we might situate the processing plant. Um, but there is a there is an underground and open pit trade off there that's being made on those deposits. And look, I think what we're seeing in the optimization process is that a significant amount of the resource will optimize into open pits. The mine will be predominantly, uh, the, the mill feed will be predominantly from open pit, and then it will be supplemented with underground, higher grade underground um, ore feed as the project extends in life. So um, I think in your presentation, you, 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 kind of, you, you headline it by saying about 70% of the, uh, the material that you're looking to include in this PFS is going to come from the open pit. Um, and presumably you wouldn't just do the open pit and then the, I mean, and I think you've just said it, you said you'd blend it. So you'd, you'd, you'd start the open pit, kind of get that going for a few years. And then at some point, kind of um, put in some declines and start um, some, so some ramps down and kind of st start producing the underground while the open pits are mining. You've got a lot of operational flexibility because you've got five centres. Yeah, I think that you do have flexibility. You've got multiple production centres that you can look to activate and manage the problem that's, problems that you'll inevitably confront. Uh, at the same time, though, commissioning open pit and underground mines at the same time uh, is challenging um, from bitter experience. Uh, so I think if we can if we can get up and running on on the pits and then and then transition to underground at the appropriate time, uh, that's that's the lowest risk way to commercialise these assets. Yeah. Now you you articulated what I was what I was trying to say in terms of the the. The medium grade you've characterised as, as medium grade, um, and when I look at some of your block models and the cross sections, uh, it feels as if it it, sh it looks as if there are some areas which are you know quite decent thicknesses. Um, how does that translate to an underground? Because t typically, what you want in an underground is kind of a uh, a higher grade portion. Do you, um, what 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 are your stoke sizes or your um your um, or your block model sizes, dimensions that you're kind of taking into an underground scenario? Yeah, the, the, it's variable across the project. Uh, we have one deposit gem that is unique amongst the rest. So it's a, it's a southerly dipping, shallowly dipping uh, sheeted vein set, which uh, is amenable to open pit mining. I think that's where the base load for mill feed will come from for the majority of the mine life. Uh, now there's portions of that ore body above cutoff grade that are that are you know well over 10 meters in thickness um, and shell dipping it around 40 degrees to the south it steepens up the further you get to the west but um, that that's that's an open pit option for us. The other pits will be relatively small uh, 
pits that are just really starter pits or box cuts for underground development. And whether we actually put any underground development off the base of those pits remains to be seen. There might be one more central access uh, and then access from that, that one position. So the, the other feature of the deposit, which is probably worth bringing up at this point in time, is that we have, uh, when I say it's a moderate grade, it also has a low uh, grade variability. So the, the coefficient of variation in the database is, is quite low for an, a West Australian gold deposit, at least as I understand it. Um, and so we have minimal top cutting, you, you very rarely see Bonanza-style grades in our data set. Uh, they're, they're, you, we don't see any 500 grammars. Uh, there's, there's, you know, in the hundreds, between 100 and 200, there's, there's, there's a number of those, but there's a lot of 40s and 50s. And so it's a, it's a, it's a moderate-grade deposit with a low variability. We think that translates into a, a, a lower-risk mineral resource estimate and then, by extension, a lower risk mine plant. So you're looking at producing about 100,000 of ounces per annum. But what, what I think I understood from, is basically one main pit. And then when, once that's up and established and running, then you're going to kind of box cut some other areas that kind of to, to chase four, potentially five other underground yeah, um, I think, resources. Yeah, there'll be, it'll be three, there'll be three underground mines uh, in this PFS conceived. Um, uh, one of the one of the deposits that we will mine is is a paleo channel. Uh, it's 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 unique in and of itself. I mean, it it begs the question of where that material came from. We don't think it's been transported far. Looking at the at the mineralisation itself, um, so it's a it's an exploration target for us. But really, at the moment, we've only really defined the paleo channel component. It's a bit of a free kick to commission the plant on. Um, but then the other four deposits, one will be a big pit. And then the others are principally, they're, they're narrower, uh, higher grade. Um, typically, the, the ore bodies in that 1.5 to 2 metre average width, which in my experience is, is around about the minimum width that you can expect to achieve uh, using mechanised underground mining methods. So we're not wearing a massive amount of dilution. But at the same time, we've got to be careful with the grade to preserve it. And just coming back to deflector, I think in your presentation, you, you used deflector as an example of, uh, you know, a, a commissioning decision. Um, that, was it deflector that got started with a smaller tonnage than you currently got, but has actually um, extended its mine life through ongoing exploration? Do you want to just talk about that? Oh, oh yeah, look, um, that, that's been a fabulous success. Um, the, the owners of that asset have done a fantastic job demonstrating to the market the value of of that asset. Um, I think it got started on roughly 600,000 ounces in resource. Uh, and over the subsequent six years, I think that was 2016 when it got going, it's produced over half a million ounces of gold. That's more than replaced reserves. It's more than replaced resources. And importantly, it's generated a ton of excess cash. So um, fabulous outcome depending on whose research you read, the asset could be valued in terms of its component value inside that business at between oh, 800 or, or a billion dollars Aussie. So that, that's the kind of opportunity that's in front of us. We've got a huge amount of water that needs to flow under the bridge to get there. Um, but that's the kind of outcome and kind of performance that we're looking to replicate here at medallion so that's 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 the prize um yeah. let's let's talk about kind of next steps on on what medallion is looking to do to kind of um 
get towards that that goal. Yep. We're confident we're at critical mass in terms of metal in the ground to support that study outcome that, that demonstrates you know, the returns are there with, with an adequate amount of, of risk. Um, so based on a risk-adjusted basis, this makes a lot of sense. We think that's the outcome that we're, we're going to generate when we get to the end of this PFS. Now, the mine plan itself is going to have some component of inferred in it. Um, well less than 50%, but it's going to be there. And if we want that to convert to reserve uh, when the when the DFS or the BFS times comes, we're going to need to do a significant amount of infill drilling to de-risk that portion of the resource that isn't in at least the indicated or measured category. So we think about 30,000 metres of combined RC and diamond drilling to, to deal with that uncertainty, to increase the confidence in that portion of the resource. Uh, through that process, we'll collect sample for additional metallurgical test work. Uh, there'll need to be some geotechnical work undertaken as well. The resource has grown so much that our previous network is no longer representative of the entire mine plan. So on a spatial basis, we need to collect some more sample. Uh, and then there's the permitting process. So we have a permit, a ministerial statement to commence the project as we conceived it in 2020. Uh, but again, the resource has grown. Um, the project production rate has, has increased. Uh, so we will need to seek an amendment to that primary approval. Uh, and that will, that will take some time. So we'll use the outcome of the PFS to re-engage re with regulators and get that process moving again. You mentioned that less than half... Um, sorry, so less than 50% will be inferred, but um, can you, surely you can't use inferred resources in a PFS because in a PFS, you're, you're, I thought it had to be measured and indicated. In fact, I've just been looking at the JORT code. You can use it in a mine plan. You, it's not, it, can't be, it can't be declared a reserve. Uh, that portion that is in the indicated category can convert to reserve. The inferred can't. Uh, it's a lower level of confidence, um, but you can describe it in the PFS outcome. So uh, someone who's reading the PFS, and it'll be it'll be fully disclosed that this is not... Uh, there's a horse as well. Uh, and th there, there won't be... Yes, yeah, so there'll be some... We'll, we'll, we'll be very careful to highlight that a portion of the mine plan is inferred. Uh, that definitely won't, can't convert to reserve, but... It, it, what it does is outline for us the part of the ore body that we need to go and improve the confidence in. So there's, there's no shying away from us to requiring to do that. Uh, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, we, we will be able to release the PFS on that basis. Good. Um, let's talk about money and where it's going to yeah. come from. I mean, the fact that Deflector is such a success and you, you talk about it being valued at 800 to a billion Aussie, um, you know, people notice that. There must be people looking at that thinking, well, hang on, where's the next one of these going to come along? Mm. And, you know, your market cap is $22, 23000000 million, Aussie. And there's a, you know, there, there's an opportunity. There's an arbitrage between this asset with a degree of execution risk and finance risk and that asset, which is in production, which is worth a hell of a lot of money. What levels of interest and engagement are you getting from, from audience? Are you getting inbounds from industry? Are funds speaking to you? Or is, does it feel as if you're just the market is just shut quiet at the moment? No, when the resource update was released in February, we crossed through some sort of threshold that then led to the phone starting to ring. And uh, so there has been inbound inquiry from, uh, as you say, institutions and, 
and and other corporates. Um, look, very early days, uh, and it's in terms of uh, of of the institutional interest. We we seem to be too small. I think the the to me the threshold seems to be fifty million dollar market cap and a certain amount of liquidity required for those institutions to get involved. So that shuts us out from that particular audience of investors, I think, at this point in time. Now, um, that that's an opportunity missed in my view, but but that 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 that, that that's their business to run. Um, so we we are now we, we look really focused on high net worth uh, investors and the retail sector to a greater extent. They're starting to take a look uh, simply because it's so cheap. I think it uh, it turns up in all the the local, local likely places that you see these things discussed. Um, in terms of you know where does the next round of funding come from? I think there's a couple of steps that we need to go through here. Uh, There'll be a, a, an equity raising um, in the not too distant future, uh, and it will fund our the PFS can be funded from existing cash reserves, but it will give us the buffer to get through that period of time. We'd also look to do some extensional drilling, uh, testing some of the conceptual targets that are within the Cundit Mining Centre itself. So, as it stands, those resources we know they. They average 4,000 ounces per vertical metre from surface to a depth of 300 metres below, below surface. Uh, they're shallowly drilled. The average depth of drilling is 100 metres below surface. Deepest hole we've got in the system is 370. If we, can, we think that if we continue to invest in these deposits, they'll continue to grow at that. And if you think about extending that ounce per vertical metre profile from surface to 500 metres below surface, which is still shallow for an Archean gold load system, then Cundip gets really interesting in terms of its scale and significance. So that's that's something that I think we have a high degree of confidence in that these things will extend. But then another element of that 54 kilometres of drilling that we've done since we listed, a third of it was diamond. And that's given us a look at the host rock. It's given us a look at the ore body in situ to a greater extent than we ever have before. And that's enabled some structural analysis, some structural measurements to be undertaken. And it's led us to, I think, being able to target where some of the the, the better parts of the ore body extend, both at depth and along strike. So uh, there's some conceptual targets that we've generated and we'd look to drill those in off the back of this next equity raising when it's done. Um, and that might change the conversation about what the potential of Cundip is more broadly. Uh, so we'll look to do that. Um, we'll also get that permitting process going. But with the completion of the PFS, it is a, it is a significant de-risking milestone. And that, that could lead to a, a re-rate, possibly. Um, you know, I, I hope it does. I think, I think it'll warrant one, but it may not. And, but it will, what it will let us do is look at other styles of financing as well. So perhaps not necessarily um, public equity markets. There's other ways that we may be able to fund the business. Uh, and we would look at those options to do the heavy lifting to get us to the final investment decision. So that 30,000 metres of infill drilling that I described before, uh, you know, that, that obviously would cost us about $200 a metre to, to drill uh, down there at Ravensthorpe. Um, that's a pretty competitive price, um, but all in freight 
assays, everything. It's about the cost of it. So you can kind of extrapolate what 30,000 litres costs. Then we need, we, we want to do some extensional and some regional work as well to keep the higher impact element of the story running along as well while the study gets done and the permitting is done. So there's quite a bit of, there's the funding requirement to get us through that next 18 months to two years where we think we'll be in a position to make that final investment decision. So that that's the plan at this stage. If the if the equity market doesn't respond, um, then we'll look at these other options as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the obvious answer to a fund when they say that the market cap is too small is like, well, go and buy five million dollars in the in the uh, uh, in the open market and see what happens to the price. Yeah, um, that's exactly right. <laughs> and it, you know, liquidity. We we are an illiquid stock. That the, the I think the top fifty own seventy five percent. And the liquidity's hurt us, particularly through this this recent period. Um, it's gapped down on some pretty low volumes. It could turn around and, and work in our favour as well, but thus far it's been it's been a drag. Yeah, well, you're you're not alone. I mean, it's it's right across the sector. Um, just in terms of, um, you know, it doesn't make it any better for you. It doesn't make it any easier. Um, but uh, it, I mean, it's 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 just how the market is at the moment. Just in terms of just in terms of scale. And uh, um, I, I hear what you're saying about drilling deeper uh, could really kind of open it up in terms of the overall uh, mineral um, kind of um, endowment. When you when you look at uh, throughput rates and 100,000 ounces per annum, is that did you choose that uh, throughput rate because that's the um, or kind of the production rate? Is that because it's the the, the function of stope size and kind of a materials handling, or was it more of a function of uh, mine life? You let, you kind of said let's let's do this over six or eight years or whatever the mine life is. It's a mix of both. Uh, obviously, you want to uh, have, what can you do to increase the internal rate of return of the project, and that is to get that gold produced at as high, as quickly as possible at as high a margin as possible. Uh, so that's that's the starting point. How do we how do we engineer that outcome? But there are constraints on on what you can do in terms of the mine plan. So what's the vertical advance that can be achieved in the pit realistically? What are the vertical advance rates in the underground mines that can be achieved realistically? We've we've got those in the back of our minds. There's other limiting factors as well that you need to be aware of. So um, we want this study to be an honest one and a robust one, so that we're not kidding ourselves or anybody else um so there's those there's those limitations on it as well so that there that we we want to get that all through the mill as quickly as possible but there's then then there's what the mine can achieve and i've been in that situation where you've got an empty rom pad and a very hungry mill that the mine is struggling to keep up with and it's not a good situation to be in. no that's when mistakes get made underground yeah and, um, yeah or yeah. in the pit yeah yeah good um Paul, um, thank you so much. It's been, it's been a fascinating introduction to the company. Um, the the pre-feasibility study will be a really important document. I'd really like to come um, have a look at that when it comes out. Thank you, and, and let's stay in touch. Perhaps come back on when when you've got the the pre-feasibility study in hand and, and what it looks like. Uh, pleasure, Merlin. I, I appreciate the opportunity to come on and speak to you. And yeah, let, let's walk through the PFS when it's out later in the year.